0: Section 4 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 24. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ginny Rosario. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 24. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 4 The First and Last Robbery. "'I will not, I cannot endure the scene any longer,' said Robert Dawson to himself. As his four children, he had a fifth, but it was at the breast, one day clung around him, imploring something wherewith to satisfy the cravings of hunger. "'I cannot endure it longer. I must, by some means or other, get bread for the poor things.' There was not a man within the confines of Banffshire of more strict integrity than Robert Dawson.' Though never affluent, he had from his youth up until now been in comfortable circumstances. His late reverse of fortune involved no compromise of principle. It was produced by causes over which he had no control. He had embarked his all in a speculation which everybody thought would prove a profitable one. The issue showed how erroneous human calculations sometimes are. He was all at once reduced to extreme poverty and himself, his wife, and family subjected to all its attendant wants and woes. For some months Robert and his partner in life bore up under their sad and sudden reverse, with a fortitude which exceeded all praise. Not a murmur was heard to escape the lips of either, and as far as they themselves were concerned, they would have continued reconciled to their condition, in the hope, though against hope, that a brighter and better day would ultimately dawn on them but they had children, and these gathered round the mother, who had been for weeks stretched on a pallet of straw, imploring, by the irresistible eloquence of their looks, their cries, their tears, something wherewith to allay all the gnawings of hunger. For days Robert witnessed the scene with feelings which do not admit of description. At last it pierced his soul so sharply that he could no longer endure it, the independence of his spirit sank before it. He came to the resolution. He uttered the words recorded above. He sallied forth to appeal to the charitable and humane. He, who is the subject of real and deep distress, is generally less qualified to tell his tale of woe with effect than the person whose wants and wretchedness are only fictitious. Such was the case with Robert Dawson, and the consequence was that the application for assistance was in every instance unsuccessful. What was to be done? His apparently dying wife and famishing children were again pictured to his mind in all the soul-touching wretchedness of their situation. He feared if no food were given them in an hour or two, one or more of them by that time would be lying a corpse a feeling of desperation came over him. He hurried to an adjacent wood, determined to rob the first individual he met in that secluded place, though death, either on the spot or by the hands of the hangman, should be the consequence. An opportunity soon presented itself of carrying his resolution into effect. He espied a gentleman walking on foot along the road which went through the wood. Unacquainted with the feelings and practices of a footpad, Robert's breast palpitated, and his limbs quivered, as he observed the gentleman approach the place where he lay concealed. His determination, however, was fixed, and as the gentleman came up, he leaped out from his hiding place, seized the traveller by the collar, and demanded his purse. Observing that Robert had no pistol, nor even so much as a stick in his hand, the other resisted. A struggle ensued. Robert tripped up the gentleman, and when on the ground, succeeded by his superior physical strength in taking from his pocket a five pound note. Robert then allowed the other to rise and depart, and set off himself for home to give his wife and family the benefit of his booty. He had not proceeded many yards on his way when his conscience loudly condemned him for the robbery he had committed. A violent struggle ensued in his breast between honesty and commiseration for his famishing wife and children. The decision he came to was that he would not take what was not his own, but would trust to providence. He, that moment, turned from his homeward course. He ran as fast as he could after the gentleman. He overtook him and placed the five-pound note in his hand. "'Sir,' said he, "'here is your money.' I have done wrong in taking it. I could not be at ease until I restored it. Nothing but the direst necessity could ever have made me form, far less execute the purpose of robbing a fellow man. From my most inmost soul, I beg your pardon. Robert wheeled round to withdraw when he had restored the money, but the gentleman, struck by his appearance and his manner, desired him to stay for a moment or two. "'Your conduct surprises me,' said the gentleman." What could have induced you to take the highway, and then, after having succeeded, at the risk of your own life, in getting part of my money, to come and restore it? It is not often that footpads trouble themselves about the honesty of their practice. Sir, said Robert emphatically, I am no footpad. You are the first I have ever attempted to rob in my life. Your manner convinces me of that, remarked the other. "'Pray, tell me what is it that has made you form the resolution of committing robbery?' "'A sick, perhaps dying wife, and five young and helpless children, sir.' It was with difficulty from the swellings of Robert's breast that the words obtained an utterance. "'Poor man, I feel for your and their condition,' said the gentleman. "'Do your wife and family reside far from this?' he added. "'About a mile and a half, sir,' was the answer." Will you allow me to accompany you to your home to witness the affecting scene? Continued the stranger. The sight would only hurt your feelings, answered Robert. The gentleman persisted in the expression of his desire to see the repentant robber's wife and family. The latter at last assented, and both proceeded to the house of woe. The scene, which the stranger now witnessed, baffles description. All his previous conceptions of destitution and distress shrank before it. Exhausted from her protracted abstinence from anything in the shape of food, Robert's wife lay on a bed of straw, in a dark corner of a fireless apartment, seemingly unconscious of the presence of either her husband or the stranger. The sucking infant lay at her breast, restless and crying for nourishment. The two eldest children were moving about like perfect skeletons. The moment their father appeared, they set up a loud cry for something to eat. The process of starvation was well nigh completed in the case of the other two children. They were lying together among a few rags beside the bed, if it deserved the name, of their mother. The gentleman's heart was too full from the scene, which he witnessed, for speaking much. "'Take that,' said he to the husband and father, putting the five pounds, which had been restored to him, into Robert's hand. "'Take that. I am come from abroad.' and am going to reside in this part of the country. I will see what can be done for you." He departed. Robert's sense of gratitude to his unknown benefactor was too deep to permit an audible expression of it. Robert, that instant, went and procured food and fuel with part of the money, thus put, as if by a miracle, into his hand. He brought home some wine to his wife and the two children whose sufferings from a want had been greatest. In the space of three hours, each of the sufferers were manifestly in the way of recovery. In an hour afterward the unknown benevolent gentleman returned, bringing with him a female from a neighboring village to attend on Robert's family. He had previously given the woman a two-pound note, giving her strict instructions to provide everything for the family which their necessities required." Robert Dawson was lost in astonishment at this excess of benevolence on the part of a gentleman he had never before seen, and his distressed wife, as consciousness returned, was equally lost in wonder and gratitude. The female stayed up all night at Robert's house, and by breakfast time next day the whole family were so far recovered as to look altogether different beings from what they were when the stranger first saw them. In the forenoon, he returned. A glow of satisfaction lighted up his countenance as he witnessed the altered condition of the family. The mother, with her sucking infant on her knee, sat in a chair by a comfortable fire. He sat down beside her. "'Do you not know me?' said he, looking her in the face. "'No, sir, indeed, I know not,' answered Mrs. Dawson. "'Have you no recollection of seeing my face before?' The poor woman looked at her own and family's benefactor again. "'I think I have,' she said with much modesty and softness of tone. "'Do you not recollect your brother, James?' The words went to her heart. She swooned away in her chair. She soon, however, recovered her consciousness. The strange gentleman was her brother. He had gone to India twenty-two years before. He had returned, quite unexpectedly, with an ample fortune.' He was on his way, on foot, from the town at which the stagecoach had stopped, to be his native village, when Robert robbed him. After visiting the house of Woe the first time, he proceeded to his native village. His first inquiries were naturally about his sister, for she was the only one he had. He learned, with the deepest pain, the reverses which had befallen herself and family, and their consequent privations a description of the personal appearance of her husband and the place of residence served to satisfy him that it was his brother-in-law he had encountered in the wood of F, and that it was his sister and her children who were suffering the frightful distress he had witnessed in the house he had visited. He concealed his convictions, however, from his informant at the inn, and deeming the discovery might be too much for the feelings of his sister on the second visit, he prudently abstained at that time from making known his relationship to her. From that day to the day of their several deaths, neither Robert Dawson, his wife, nor family knew what want was. End of section four.